You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Not sure, did anybody see a couple of weeks ago, might have even been just last week, things are moving so quick these days, where Elon Musk was being interviewed by the Babylon Bee guys, and they, they said, hey, would you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And it kind of threw him. And, uh, and it was really interesting, you know, he, he was very positive. He said, oh, you know, you know, I believe in a lot of the things that Jesus taught and I try to follow a lot of his ideals and his teachings. And, and there was all this kind of debate backwards and forwards on, on uh, social media on whether, you know, Elon Musk is a Christian and, you know, and the debate went. And I'm not here to kind of weigh in on that, but I am here tonight to uh, kind of preach a message to you that, that really identifies who Jesus really is. We, 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 live in a, we live in a valley. We live in, in a city, Salt Lake City, where if you go down to the temple, you will see the most beautiful pictures of Jesus. You'll, you'll see the most stunning pictures of Jesus. But it's funny as I begin to read some of their pamphlets and some of their print material, I find, wow, he's not quite the same as... And it's very, very important because the Bible says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So, so come with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 8, verse 4. Tonight, the, the title of my message, and it may not make sense to you. It may not make sense to you immediately, but the title of my message tonight is The Reverser. The Reverser. If you remember nothing about anything I'm about to say from here on in, I just want you to know that Jesus is the reverser. He's the reverser. Jesus did not come to make you religious. Jesus did not come to start another religion. If, if Jesus' goal was to make you religious, he would, have, he would have joined the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes, but he didn't. In fact, he, most of the time he was he was anathema to those guys. They were the ones that handed him over to the Romans to be crucified because religion can't stand Jesus. If you have a Jesus that religion is comfortable with, you just need to recheck that Jesus. Jesus upset the religious orders of the day. Why do the, why do the, why do the disciples of John and the disciples of, Fa, of the Pharisees fast while your disciples eat and drink? If Jesus was this rabbi, this holy teacher, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus was constantly criticized by the religious. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to make men free. Jesus came that you may have life and life more abundantly. Many, many people go from uh, entangled or controlled by sins and lusts and addictions only to come into religion and they're still as bound, they're still as controlled, they still have no life, it's just they've changed masters. You'll know when Jesus is your master because freedom is the signature. Jesus came to set the captives free. 
It's not going to make sense, but it will in a minute. All right, uh, go to Genesis 8, verse 4. Genesis 8, verse 4. Genesis 8, verse 4. I'm glad I got a larger print Bible because last time my Bible print, I couldn't read it with the light or the lack thereof. It says, Then the ark rested in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. So one more time. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. This is really, really important that I begin here. So if you know anything about Genesis 7, Genesis 7 follows Genesis 6. (laughs) See how clever I am? (laughs) Genesis 6 is, is about the flood. Genesis 6 is about Noah who was blameless in his generations, found favor with God. And so God gets Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight people all up. Eight is always the number of resurrection and new life. And, and, and they, are, they, are, they go into an ark and they get saved. They get saved from the judgment. It's very, very important to know and understand that they were in the ark for about a year. Noah was saved. Noah was saved not because of his ability to tread water. Noah was not saved because he was a champion swimmer. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, and Noah, because he was a champion. The guy could backstroke in 200 foot wet. It doesn't say that. No, Noah wasn't saved because he held the Guinness Book of World Records for the man who could hold his breath the longest. Noah was saved not because of his effort. Noah was saved by the perfection of the vessel that he was in. It was was the perfection of the ark to withstand the judgment of God that saved Noah. Let me just throw this out. Did Noah sin while he was in the ark? Probably. Probably. He probably cussed a few times when the, when the lions were trying to get over to the gazelle cage and tear a gazelle. And, I mean, he wasn't saved because of his ability to do a missions trip, knock on doors. He, what saved Noah was that he had to build an ark to the exact dimensions covered on the inside and outside with pitch to make it waterproof because they would be going into a judgment and it wasn't Noah's ability, it wasn't Noah's effort to save himself. It was the perfection, it was his faith and trust in what God had sent for him to be in. Jesus is is a, the, the ark is a shadow and a picture of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. In Christ, you're forgiven. In Christ, your sins are taken away. In Christ, as far as the east is from the west. In Christ, we have newness of life. In Christ, we have our, our, our dwelling and our, and our being and our moving. It's in Christ. So Noah was in Christ. And, and the Bible says, the Bible says here that, that, uh, 40 days, 40 nights, everything was, was chaos. And, and, uh, and then the, the, the ark was, was on the waters. And uh, if you read Genesis, which is awesome, in fact, you should be right now if you're in your one-year Bible. And you, you would have read there, there was something very interesting that happened where um, God, God uses Noah to, to uh, prophesy the three, 
the three or the four epochs, the three or four eras of the world. The first one is where uh, as things began to calm down, Noah opened the window and he sent out a raven. A raven is a blackbird. It is never, it is never positive in the scripture. She's a, she's a scavenger bird. In fact, a flock of ravens is called a murder. And he sends out a raven, and the Bible says the raven could not rest anywhere but did not return because of the judgment. So then seven days later, seven is a completion, is a cycle, it's an epoch. Seven days later, he opens the window, and this time he sends out a dove. And the dove flew, and she flew, and she flew, but she could find no place to rest her feet, so she returned to him, and he took her back in. Seven days later, he opens the window again, and he releases the same dove. The dove goes out, and this time she comes back, and she's got an olive branch in her, in her beak. And, and you'll know from the U.S. flag, the American flag, but even the world symbol of peace is an olive branch. And then Noah knew that the judgment on the earth was finished that there was peace now on earth. So he brought the dove in for one more seven-day cycle, for one more epoch, and then the dove was released, and the Bible says she returned no more. They're the four cycles of human history. The first one is Satan was cast into the earth. He's the raven, and, and, and he, he, he flies on the judgment. The second time the Holy Spirit came in the Old Testament looking to land, looking to fill. But because the, the world, because we were still under judgment for our sin in the Old Testament, we could. And then when Jesus came, when Jesus came, the angels heralded peace on earth, goodwill towards men, because there is born to you this day in Bethlehem a Messiah who's going to take away the sins of the world. And so peace came. The olive branch between heaven and earth came because of Jesus. And and then when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit, this is all in just a, a, little, a little Bible verse there, but it's, it's the history of the world. And the Holy Spirit is staying here on the planet until Jesus returns and splits the sky because he has a mission, he has an assignment, he has a responsibility, and that is to get you and me into glory. So he ain't leaving till Jesus returns. And they're going to high five in the air as we all go up to, to meet him in the air. Somebody say amen. So it says, it says, so the ark rested, the ark finally comes to rest on the, the 17th day of the seventh month on the mountains of Ararat. Nothing in your Bible is there by accident. For the ark to come to rest at the end of the judgment, no one, no one knew that the judgment was ended. But there was something about the timing. In fact, after this, after this, if you read your Bibles, which we encourage, you'll go to the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel are in bondage in Egypt. And God says, I'm going to deliver you on, at the Passover. And the Passover is going to happen on the seventh day, on the 17th month. In fact, excuse me, on the 14th day of the seventh month, you take, you take a lamb and you sacrifice that lamb, that's the Passover lamb, is going to be sacrificed on the 14th day of the seventh month. He says, and with a mighty hand, I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. So on the 14th day of the seventh month, they each took a lamb, slaughtered the lamb, cooked 
had, had roasted lamb for dinner, but they put the, the blood of that lamb on the lentils of their doorpost so that the destroyer had to pass over. He could not touch what was covered by the blood of the lamb. That was on the 14th. The Bible says it was a three-day journey into the wilderness, which puts it to the 17th when they got out there and they were completely free of Pharaoh. God says to the children of Israel, He says, no longer will this be your seventh month, But this will now be the beginning of months for you. The month of Aviv. The month Aviv means new beginnings. In other words, God says, from now on, I count time from when you're born again. I I count time from from when you were delivered from Pharaoh. So so let's go back. Genesis 8, 4 says that the ark came to rest on the 17th day of the seventh month on the mountains of Ararat. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread and took the wine, which is interesting, because I would have been pointing at the the lamb, but he says, I don't even need to point to the lamb. I am the lamb of God. John the Baptist already pointed to me as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He says, eagerly if I desire to eat this Passover with you, not only am I the lamb who's going to be slain, He says, but take this bread, take this wine. This bread is my body broken for you. This wine is the blood of the new covenant. And then Jesus was betrayed that night. And then the next day was handed over to be crucified. Was handed over to be crucified. A lot of people say, well, that's the 15th. Well, it is for you and I. But the way that it works in the Bible is God doesn't count a day from the morning and it finishes in the evening. If you read your Bibles, which again we encourage, you'll find it says the evening and the morning the first day, the evening and the morning the second day. Shabbat, the Sabbath, which is Saturday, if if you speak any of the Latin language, sabado, sabata, Sabbath is Saturday, but it begins at sunset Friday night. When the sun set on the Thursday night of the 14th, Jesus was betrayed, was handed over to be crucified because he was the Lamb of God that was the Passover Lamb. So he was, he was handed over on the Thursday. Friday, he hung on the cross. Saturday, he was in the ground. 14th was the Thursday. 15th was the Friday. 16th was Saturday. But what day did he get up out of the tomb? The 17th, Sunday. So let's have a look. What what does Ararat mean? Well, the word Arar in Hebrew means curse. Arar means curse. Ararat means curse reversed. (laughs) Means curse reversed. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Somebody say amen. All right, so come with me, come with me really quickly. We're gonna we're gonna skip now to the New Testament. Because how many people know that the, the old is in the new revealed, the new is in the old concealed? So we're gonna come now to that's that's why that's why as a church I, I love the Old Testament because I see Jesus all the way through the Old Testament. So in, in Mark chapter two, Mark chapter two, and maybe I got this wrong, maybe I gave him the wrong verses. Uh, maybe it's Mark one forty. Yeah, it is. It's Mark one forty. I think I gave them two forty. I think it's Mark one forty. I oh, know. I think. Did I give you guys the right verses? It says then. Uh, it says now a leper came to him, 
imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretch out his hand and somebody and stretch out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Verse 42, as soon as he had, as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Huh, interesting. A leper comes to Jesus, kneels before him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I am willing. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. Notice that Jesus touched him, but he wasn't healed until Jesus said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And the Bible says, as soon as he had spoken the word, the leprosy left him. Jesus, to heal him, all he needed to do was speak. But Jesus didn't speak only. He reached out and touched him. Why did Jesus reach out and touch him? It's very, very important. Mark is, is zeroing in on something. Mark is zeroing in on who Jesus is. See, in the Old Testament, they had priests. And the job of the priest was atonement for, for the sins of, of Israel. But the priests would have to offer a lamb or a bull or a goat for their own sin before they could then go and offer a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so the Bible says that it wasn't sufficient for the blood of bulls and goats to permanently erase man's sin. But, but it would be sufficient for God to, to, to lift His wrath, to, to avert His judgment and instead allow us to walk in blessing. But there were three things in the book of Leviticus that causes a priest to be unclean. The first one is he can't touch or be touched by anything that is unclean. So if someone was unclean, like if they had leprosy and they touch Jesus or, or touch a, a priest, excuse me, or a priest touches a leper, the uncleanness of the leper comes on them. The priests were not allowed to, to go near a graveyard or a tomb. They weren't allowed to be amongst the dead, a dead carcass, a dead body. They, they, they weren't allowed to be near a cadaver because that would defile them. They would be unclean. The third one was anybody that had an issue. Whether, whether, whether it was, it was uh, an issue of blood or pus or if they were married uh, and their wife was in her cycle, they, they had to be separate because her uncleanness would make him unclean for priestly duty. He couldn't go and offer the priestly sacrifice if, if they were close together or if they slept in the same bed. Three areas. Very interesting. Now come with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, Mark does something that I'm not sure if you've noticed this before. But in the Mark chapter 5, there are three stories, three powerful stories. The first story is Jesus has just crossed through a storm on Lake Galilee. And he gets to the, the side of Lake Galilee where the, where the Gadarenes live. And when, he, when he, he lands, the Bible says, and immediately they met him out of 
out of the hill country of the Gadarenes, there met him a demonized man. This man uh, had his dwelling, the Bible says, amongst the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out, and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man unclean spirit. And then if you know the story that the, the, the demons, Jesus says, what is your name? And the demons say, our name is Legion for we are many. But it says, isn't it interesting that Jesus gets out of the boat and there's a man who has his dwelling amongst the tombs. He, he, lives, he lives in a place of death. He lives in a place of hopelessness. He lives, he's surrounded by tombs, by gravestones, by epitaphs. They, they, say, they say, if you want to know where the richest part of, of any city is, don't go to the gold mines, don't go to the coal mines, don't go to the banks, go to a graveyard. How many dreams perished with the dreamer? Dreams that were never really, inventions that were never created. Innovations, business ideas, intentions that were never fulfilled that are buried with, with the person. This man has his, has his dwelling amongst hopelessness and, and, and even though he is demonized, he wants to live because we know that he's cutting himself, but he's in a wrestle, he is bound. But when Jesus turns up, see, the demons thought that they were safe because they drove this man to live amongst the tombs. They drove this man to live amongst the graves because they knew ain't no priest going to come into this territory and offer any kind of atonement because as soon as a priest stepped into that territory, they would immediately be unclean and disqualified from offering atonement for this man's sins. That's why when the demons saw him, they said, when we know who you are, we identify you because you didn't get disqualified. The anointing that was on you when you got out of the boat is the same anointing. It's the same glory. The glory has not lifted. You must be him. You must be Yeshua HaMashiach you must be Jesus the Messiah we beg that you do not torment us and Jesus says what is your name and he said legion please don't cast us out of the region look there's a herd of swine and he gives them permission as soon as the demons that were, that were driving this man as soon as they left him and went into the swine the swine ran down the hill and drowned pigs can swim but these pigs drowned because the demons in them were greater than the, the, the will to live in them. This man was so tormented. The Bible says when the people came back, there was the man clothed, seated in his right mind. Jesus is the reverser. Jesus is the reverser. The Old Testament priests couldn't go, the Old Testament priests couldn't go into places of death 
because the death would defile Jesus walks into death and freedom Jesus walks into death the death doesn't affect him the life in him flows out the life in God is greater than the death that was in the ground the the, the power of Jesus was greater than that which was binding that man and tormenting that man Jesus's life was greater than the death and the hopelessness and the torment Jesus goes in but then it goes on. The next story is that a man by the name of Jairus comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, my daughter, she's 12 years of age. She's lying at death's door. She's incredibly ill. Please, would you come, please? And he begs him, please come and pray for my daughter. And Jesus says, I will come. And so the Bible says that Jesus is on his way to pray for the young lady. When all of a sudden there's another woman in the crowd and this woman had had a condition for 12 years. For 12 years, she had been unable to stop bleeding. For 12 years, she was anemic. And the Bible says that she suffered. She suffered so much from doctor after doctor, medical expert after medical expert, clinic after clinic, experimental drug after experimental drug, operation after operation. The Bible says she suffered so many things and instead of getting better, grew worse and had spent all her money. Nobody could help her. But the Bible says when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd. I want you to know she didn't come behind a religious teacher. She didn't come behind a man who the world would try and lie to you and tell you it was just a rabbi. Well, you know, I under, you know, I agree with some of Jesus's teachings. He was, you know, he was misunderstood. He was really all about the poor and the down and out and the minority. He was a fighter for minority. She didn't come behind the crowd because Jesus was a fighter for the minority, or he was a she came behind the crowd because Mark is trying to show us that Jesus is the reverser. She has a flow a flow for 12 years which makes her unclean she is not allowed to worship she is not allowed to to assemble with worshipers she's not allowed to enter the temple she's not allowed to partake in any of the religious Jewish holidays or their feasts because of her her disqualification from her blood but the Bible says when she came behind him in the press she said if only I can touch the hem of his garment now I heard teaching and it's it's wonderful teaching God bless them about and and if you look at the robe that Jesus had, it was like a, the robe that the religious scribes wore. And there were, you know, at the bottom of the, the, the robe, there were these tassels, and those tassels had scripture on them. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. It's great in a theological seminary. It's not true, but it's great preaching. She didn't touch a tassel with the scripture on it. She reached out and she laid hold of the reverser. And Jesus stops and he says, wait, wait, who touched me? They're like, what are you talking about? Everybody touched you. He says, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. I felt power. Somebody touched me. I felt virtue flow out of me. I felt something flow out of me. The woman trembling realizing she couldn't go unhidden, said it was me. The penalty for an unclean person to lay hold of a rabbi and a priest was brutal because you now made a priest unclean. So she's trembling. 
But she says, something happened. As soon as I touched you, instead of my uncleanness transferring to you and making you unclean, your perfection, your righteousness, your holiness, your virtue, your power flowed into me and immediately the blood stopped flowing. Immediately she was healed. That's the second one. The second disqualification for a priest if they were just a normal priest. But Jesus wasn't a normal priest. She touches him, but what's in him flows to her, not what's on her flows to him. So now somebody comes from the ruler of the synagogue's house and says, oh, your daughter just died. Why trouble the teacher? Or literally, why bother the teacher any further? And the Bible says, Jesus speaking, as soon as Jesus heard these words, he turned to Jairus and said to him, do not be afraid, only believe and she will live when he gets to the house there's all the people weeping and all the people mourning and all the people making commotion Jesus put them all out saying why the weeping and wailing and commotion she's not dead but sleeping and they laughed him to scorn I don't know about you but I want to see the world through Jesus's perspective I don't care how many people laugh I don't care how many people mock I don't care how many CNN experts think that that guy's a conspiracy theorist oh he believed that Dr. Fauci sponsored that thing there in Booker. I don't care how many people label I'm gonna I want to see the world through the lens of Jesus so Jesus puts them all out we know that as a high priest or as a priest is not allowed to be amongst the graves. He's already done that. No effect. We know that if someone unclean touches or you touch something unclean, eh. But the third one is you're not allowed to touch anything that's dead. And the Bible says, and he walks in and watch what it says. And it says, and taking the little girl by the hand, taking the little girl by the hand, he says to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she awoke. She comes back to life. And Jesus hands her back to the parents because Jesus is the reverser. Jesus is the reverser. See, a lot of people think that God cursed man. God did not curse man. He said, cursed be the ground for your sake. So Jesus came to re re reverse the curse. He came to reverse the curse. The Bible says in Genesis that God says, Cursed be the ground for your sake because you sinned. Out of, out of the sweat of your brow and out of the toil of your labor, the earth will yield to you its increase, but thorns and thistles it will produce for you. The Romans weaved a crown of thorns together and put it on Jesus' head. Head speaks of authority. And they, they mocked him and they hit him on the head with a reed and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. But the crown that he wore was one of thorns because Jesus came to be king over the curse because he came to break the curse and set the captive free. Oh, it gets even better. After they crucified him on the cross, they took his 
dead body. And where did they put it? They put it in a garden tomb. It was in a garden where God says, cursed be the ground. And in a garden tomb, they put the Son of God. They put the Son of God. They put the body of Jesus Christ into the ground because God was redeeming. God was reversing. God was breaking the curse that was on the earth. He was redeeming the earth through Jesus Christ. How many people love the story of, of Elijah? You know, Elijah goes up onto Mount Carmel and takes on the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah. This is another picture of Jesus. The Bible says that the prophets of Baal cut themselves and there's no fire, nothing, no answer from heaven. So Elijah puts his bull on the altar and then he puts water on it one two, three times. So the bull is completely saturated. So there can be no tricks. There, there, there can be no confusion or coincidence here when fire comes. And he prays once and fire comes down from heaven, consumes the bull and the wood, licks up all the water and even burns up all the stones around the altar. So all the people fell on their face and cried, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah... Elijah brought a sacrifice and fire fell and consumed the sacrifice. All the way through the Bible until the time of Jesus, every year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies with the blood of a one-year-old perfect lamb, but it had to be done every year, every week. The blood of goats and bulls had to be offered. Why? Because the judgment from heaven was greater than the atonements of the earth. The judgment, the wrath, the judgment of God from heaven on us was greater than any lamb, any goat, any sheep, any bull. So when He presents the bull, the fire comes down and consumes the bull. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and the Bible said that from the sixth hour noon, until the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness fell across the land. So that Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God was putting the sins of all of mankind upon the Lamb of God. The high priest, that one year old spotless Lamb, the high priest would lean on the Lamb and confess the sins of Israel onto the Lamb. And then the innocent lamb would be sacrificed. Its innocence would go to the priest and the people, but the guilt of the priest and the people would go on to the lamb. It was an exchange. Jesus on the cross has the Father putting the sins of the world upon the lamb. But watch something very powerful happens. Jesus on the cross, after three hours, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had to turn from Jesus because Jesus didn't just bear our sin, take, take our sin. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Jesus became sin. He became the very, very, the very, very anathema of God. He became what was most reprehensible and vile to God so that God's judgment would come upon Jesus. And God's judgment came upon Jesus so His judgment wouldn't come upon you and I. But Jesus on that cross was able to lift His eyes and say, it 
is finished. Because for the first time, for the first time in human history, the sacrifice was greater than the judgment. The sacrifice was greater than the judgment. Jesus was able to absorb the complete judgment of God. And the Bible says that, that, listen to me, the devil is a liar. He'll tell you Jesus saved you from some of your sins, most, but he'll never tell you you are completely saved, you are completely healed, you are completely delivered, you are completely set free. The judgment of God, the anger of God towards you, towards mankind was completely quenched when Jesus said it is finished because his sacrifice was greater than the judgment. Come on, if you believe that, say amen. Say amen. Who is Jesus? He's the reverser. He's the reverser. I'm going to ask for the ministry team to come forward. I want you to notice in this church and Pastor Matt and Lorraine and the great team will tell you, we're not trying to make you religious. We're trying to make you free. You, you'll find that it's, you'll, you'll, your life will have a very short expiration date if you come here just wanting to play kind of like religion. I can do it. Praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. And blessed and highly favored. Like you're not going to last long. We just don't, we don't do, we do real. We do real. We do real, we do real life. Any area where the devil is tormenting you, any area where the devil is holding you. See, when, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt with the Passover lamb, God was, God was delivering them from 10 generations of slavery, 400 years, 10 times 40, 400. 10 is complete sentence. The sentence was complete of generational iniquity. God was setting them free. What I've noticed in church life is that quite often the things that I struggled with weren't things that I reached my hand out to, but I found that there were things that my dad got involved in. My dad reached out his hand and now these things were in me. I found that the rejection in him was the rejection in me. I found the bitterness in him was bitterness in me. I found the dysfunction in him was it dysfunction in me. But glory be to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ark coming to rest on the 17th day of the seventh month on Ararat, on curse reverse. When Jesus got up out of the grave, it was, see, on the Friday, He atoned for your sin. Your sins were forgiven on the Friday, but Jesus doesn't just forgive you. He atoned for your sin on the cross, but when He rose again from the grave, He broke every curse, every power. He redeemed your life from the curse. So I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to lift your hands high to heaven. I'm going to open the altar. This is our ministry team. If you're tormented in your mind, if you struggle with anxiety, depression, if, if, if doctors have diagnosed you, oh my gosh, you've got to be careful. Diabetes is a genetic disorder. Oh, you know, heart disease, it's a genetic disorder. Oh, you've got to be careful. You know, breast cancer, it's a genetic disorder. Let me just tell you something. The doctors, God love them. God bless them. They're just doing their best. They're just telling you what the facts are. They'll just tell you what the facts are. But when facts collide with truth, truth prevails over fact. 
The truth is by His stripes, you were healed. The truth is Jesus is the reverser. He's the reverser. That's the truth. The fact is the woman had an issue of blood. But when the fact meant the truth, Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, truth always prevails over fact. The truth was when we came to Salt Lake City, there was no guarantees, but but I, I didn't need to, you know, and the facts were, well, you're not going to get a building, you don't have, but I didn't need, I just, all I do with facts is I just come and introduce them to Jesus, the truth. That's all you do. Well, pastor, the doctors have diagnosed me with a degenerative eye condition. Well, that's the facts. Tonight, bring the facts to the truth. Well, clinical depression runs in now. That's the fact. I want you to bring the facts and deal with the truth. Because I just preached to you Bible. And I had to do it succinctly because I, I only had a little bit of time. But I wanted, you, I wanted to introduce you to Jesus, to Yeshua, to who He really is. And if you remember nothing else, He's the reverser. Whatever condition, He's the reverser. Whatever, well, you know, I've, I've, I've got tingling in my feet because I've got a blood disorder. He's the reverser. You don't understand, I've got this asthmatic, and he's the reverser. I've got this pancreas, he's the reverser. I've been diagnosed terminal, he's the reverser. I've got, I struggle with a mental, he's the reverser. Whatever you're going through tonight, he's the reverser. He's the reverser. Lift your hand high to heaven, lift your hand high to heaven. Father, tonight in this place, I declare the power of the Holy Spirit. I break every chain. I command right now every yoke of the evil one over their lives to be broken in Jesus' name. Those who are tormented in their mind, those who are tormented in their soul, those who are tormented in their spirit. There are people here, and this is the word that you hear again and again from the devil. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're, I break that religious spirit now in Jesus' name. Noah didn't survive the judgment because he was good enough. It wasn't him. It was the vessel that he was in that was good enough. You're going to make it to heaven, not because you are good enough and not because you ever become good enough but because Jesus is perfect and you are in Jesus Christ if any man be in Christ Father right now I break that religious spirit I break that you don't live with that another moment longer I'm not good enough I'm not good enough I'm not good enough you are forgiven you are cleansed you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus the second one I want to break right now there's people here with a spirit of fear a spirit of fear fear and control always go together fear and control always go together I break the spirit of fear right now you're fearful fearful to to even go to new places fearful to try new things fearful to step out fearful to me it's almost like you have a panic attack and sweaty palms when someone says hey come to this new place and come and meet some people you, you, you freak out fear holds you back I break the spirit of fear God has not given you a spirit of fear but one of love, one of power, and one of a sound mind. The three things that fear will rob. Fear will, fear will, fear will rob you of love. When the pandemic hit in 2020, and people were in fear, we didn't know. All we heard was there was this disease out of Wuhan, some caused with bats or something, that was killing people. And there was, there was fear was rampant. But I'm not sure if you noticed in 2020, not only was fear rampant, violence, racism, BLM, 
Antifa, burning buildings to the ground, beating elderly people. People were shot. Why? Because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but one of love. There was where fear is, love isn't. Because the Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. The devil, the devil loves fear. Because where fear is, love isn't. I break the spirit of fear. God doesn't give you fear. He wants to fill your heart with love. Fear will, will always make you feel powerless. Fear will tell you what is on the outside is greater than what's on the inside that circumstances around you will drown you, will take you out. You're never going to have enough to pay your bills. You're never going to, she's never going to say yes. He's never going to fear. Fear says that what is outside of you is greater. My Bible in 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't need to fear anything. Your God is with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you power and a sound mind. Fear always brings anxiety. There's a great acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. Fear lies to you. It lies to you. Oh, don't start that business. You could lose everything. What? You're really going to... How do you even know they like... Fear is a thief. Come on, if you struggle with fear, I'm going to break that thing right now. Don't let fear have one more day's hold on your life. In the name of Jesus Christ, right now I rebuke the spirit of fear. I break its grip. I break its hold on every man, every woman, every young person. I break its grip now in Jesus' name. Fear, you do as I say. You depart from their mind. You depart from their soul. You depart from their spirit. You take your lies. You take your lies, your anxiety, your torment, and your deceit. And you leave now in Jesus' name. I break that grip now in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a great praise. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.